Uh, to Romans, I'm so excited. Let me begin in prayer. Father, thank you so much for unfailing love. Thank you for John Page. Thank you for his heart. And he just loves you and he loves people. It's as simple as that. Thank you. Thank you for Janice and Bruce and Colin, all the family, and the ways that they are seeking to be uh, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Elisa, my daughter Catherine, and everybody here who loves and cares and sacrifices. And Tom James in that quiet strength that I lean on and, and others. God, I love you and I thank you. Open up our hearts and our eyes right now to your word, to, to the work of the Spirit, please. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump in on, on interpreting Scripture and uh, thinking about word meaning, context, literary form. I want to do this as an intro to the actual text so you can appreciate what's happening. For example, if that's all you get, is that one word, what does that mean? Any idea what it means? Sounds like there's reciprocity of some kind, or I work, I get payback of some time. What if it says this? Now what does it mean? Yeah. You know, if you're thinking about this in the mafia, or, or among drug dealers, this doesn't sound so good, does it? We're going to pay you back for that one. <laughs> so it's, if this is all we have in the text, then it's possible a murder might be imminent, or someone just cuts some grass, and they're going to get paid for working on the lawn. We don't know. We have no context of meaning. What about that one? Maybe, maybe we'll be paid, maybe we won't be paid. We still don't know. Now look, uh, now we're getting somewhere. Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Well, still confusing. By the way, we have a little, a little cheat here. That's capitalized. In the Greek text, it's not. Who's him? If it's not capitalized, who's him? So we get a little help with a capital H there. But who's, who's this guy? We don't know. Is it you? Is it us? Is it somebody else? So context has a tremendous impact on meaning. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And he goes on, who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Ah, now we're kind of getting somewhere. Well, let's do this. This is what it actually looks like in the Greek text. <clears throat> totally different. If you've got a printed Bible, look at Romans 11, the, the, the end part of Romans 11, and look at the first part of Romans 12. And while you're turning and looking there, I want to make a couple of statements. In the 13th century, the scriptures as we have them today were first divided into chapters. Okay? And by the 16th century, they were divided into verses. Okay? The Geneva Bible, printed in the 16th century, is the first English edition to feature chapters and verses. The first edition, all right? By the way, the Geneva Bible is so significant. Tom, you're a historian. It, a copy actually came over on the Mayflower. The Geneva Bible. And in fact, it's the scriptures John Bunyan used to write Pilgrim's Progress. It's the scriptures that William Shakespeare used in Oliver Cromwell. The Geneva Bible, first English edition to feature chapters and verses. Now, when you look at your English text, the way the chapters and verses play out, it's as though the thought or the idea stops at the end 
of 1136, right? Isn't it the end of the chapter? We're done, completed thought. And then a whole new thought kicks in at 12.1. And guess what? That's not true. There's an error. In the Greek text, and you're looking at it, that is a single paragraph. Remember, a sentence carries meaning. The paragraph is going to carry more meaning. And of course, the whole chapter is going to be the most meaning, right? But it's the paragraph that we have to pay attention to, to get the real framework, the real context. So really, we <clears throat> should understand Romans 11.33 to Romans 12.2 as one continuous thought. As opposed to breaking it up and separating those two ideas. Now, if we do this, we're going to begin to understand Romans 12 in ways we've never understood it before. So let's jump in and do that, do that very thing. All right. Um, let's look at the text. So the first thing I want to focus on is uh, the beginning section. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. This is the language of praise. It's very, it's very kind of high worship language. You're actually looking at, Stephen, you'll appreciate this. This is a hymn text. Can you imagine the early church chanting and singing that together? This is actually an ancient hymn text that was used to describe the glory of God. Look at these descriptors. Uh, there's a depth of the riches, depth. And depth in, in ancient Greek can mean depth as in a pile of gold. And how deep is the pile of gold? All right, that, that word and that concept are actually used among some of the elite. Oh, the depth of the pile of riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And then he describes this wisdom and knowledge as something beyond searching out. Uh, his judgments are beyond searching out. And his ways are unfathomable. Isaiah 55, your ways are higher than my ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Mind is noose, noose in the Greek text. Who's known the mind of the Lord, the Lord uh, that, that he would uh, instruct him or become his counselor? I want you to see this regarding the word counselor. Let me get my pointer out here. This word right here, sumbulas, sumbulas, right above it there. This is from the root word bule, which means uh, to have purpose. It means to be able to make a decision. Makes sense. Sum means with, with purpose or with decision. Who has become God's advisor or God's counselor to help God find purpose or God's advisor? Who is this person? There is no person. By the way, the root for boule uh, is used to define a, a type of mental condition called abulamania. Abulamania which is a person who is so crippled by fear and so crippled by anxiety that they can't make a decision. They're like the donkey. There's a bale of hay on the left and a bale of hay on the right, and the donkey starves to death because it can't make a decision which bale to eat from. It's called a bulimania, and many people battle with that, especially those who struggle with anxiety and fear. So who, who's God's advisor? There's no one. Or who has given to him that he might be paid back again. Then look at this language. For from him and through him are all things. These are very spatial ideas. Let me pop down to verse 36. Ek. Ek in Greek. From. Uh, guy, you know what that means? Ek. It's, it literally means a point in time 
where it starts. So from him, ek, and then dia, dia, from, through, and then ace, ace, and to. These are very spatial ideas. Paul is a Jew. He has a Jewish mind, a spatial mind. For, the, for Jews, you do this kind of stuff on this day, and you do that kind of stuff on that day. There's things you don't touch. There's places you don't go. There's food you don't eat. And you don't do these things. Very spatial. God fills the heavens. The earth is his footstool. Very spatial. And so Paul is saying that God's glory, his wisdom, his riches, his ways are so profound that all things start with him and end with him and everything in the middle. All right, let's, let's get down to where we're living. That includes your career. That includes your marriage. Can you imagine a marriage starting with God? Ek. It starts with God. He's the beginning point and ends with ace. To my, my marriage to Lisa is going to begin with God, going to end with God. And dia, he's going to be through the whole thing. And this isn't something you do just on Sunday, right? God is, it starts with him, it ends with him. He's in the middle of this thing. And it's all a part of our daily lives, okay? To him be the glory. Doxa, doxology, to him be the glory forever. Amen. So, question. He goes into verse 1, continuing the thought of chapter 12. So therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Therefore, therefore what? What is he talking about? Let me help you to get it. When he starts talking about God's wisdom and his knowledge and these unsearchable, unfathomable ways and the wisdom of his judgments, he's talking about what Paul said in Romans 1 to 11. For example, You may want to write this down. Romans chapter 1. Behold, perversion is real and destroys relationships, destroys people, and destroys culture. Perversion is real. Romans chapter 1. It's very, very real. Romans 2 to 4. God is impartial. God does not play favorites. It's not about the rule keepers and the rule breakers. And it's not about the rule keepers and those who keep the rules better than the rule keepers. God doesn't play favorites at all. It's not about keeping the law. Romans 5 and 6. Behold, when you are born again, and I mean redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are dead to sin. You're dead to sin. This idea that sins got us by the throat and we can't help it. We're just at, we're falling headlong into it. God says, no, no. If you are redeemed by my son, you are dead to sin. You don't have to live in the old way. Romans 7, anybody, any Christian who tries to live by law and by grace at the same time is a hypocrite. You know that section of of Romans 7 where Paul says, you know, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. Please understand, Paul is not confessing. That's not a confession of Paul. Paul's not, Paul is not doing this. Hey, I have my sin struggles too. I, I've got issues in my life too. Paul is not doing that. Paul is making a mockery of those that try to do that. In Greek, it's called prosopopeia. It means to play the devil's advocate. It means to role play. It means to change your faces and play the part of a different person in a Greek play and then switch them back and play another character. Paul is switching over and saying, oh, well, 
the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Sure. He's mocking the guy that's trying to get right with God by grace and by law at the same time. It doesn't work, and it will always prove us to be hypocrites. It's Romans 7. Romans 8. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and those who walk according to the Spirit, not the flesh. Romans 9 to 11. Behold the kindness and severity of God. The fact is God hardens hearts. And the fact is God makes hearts tender. And the fact is Esau he hated and Jacob he loved. Esau he hated and Jacob he loved. Behold the kindness and severity of God. That one, that's ouch. Ouch. Because we want, we want to create God in our image and make him out to be this... Uh, unoffensive person that just is going to accept everything and no threats, no problems, no accountability. But it's not that way. It's not that way at all. This is the backstory that leads Paul to say, when I think about the fact that perversion destroys people, that God is not partial, those in Christ are dead to sin, you can't live by grace and law at the same time, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, And behold, God will present at times very kind and very severe. But it should cause us to say, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. In other words, Stephen, it should lead us to worship. It should not lead us to avoid God and try to to fix God like we're going to force him into a test tube. And we're going to try to recreate him in our image because we don't like his rules. We don't like Romans 1 to 11, so let's recreate them in our image. That's not what you do. Paul would say if you get Romans 1 to 11, it's going to drop you to your knees and you're going to confess with him of the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Glory to him forever. He holds this whole thing together. Does that make sense? Now look at this. Now we get to Romans chapter 12, which is amazing. So what are you going to do? How do you respond to this? Romans 12. Um, Look at this um, right here. This word is the first word in the Greek text that you see in verse 1. It's parakalo. Parakalo. And it means to urge, to plead, to beg, to beseech, to appeal to, to agree. I'm asking you to agree with me on something. Parakalo un humas. I'm begging you. Therefore, all of you. I'm begging you all, Adelphoi, as my brothers, through the mercies of God, present yourself, present your, your, your body as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. The word living is a participle, and it simply means this in Greek. We don't live for God just on Sundays. It's a participle, so it's characteristic that you're alive. It's not just on Sunday or maybe a Wednesday night. It is an everyday thing that we live for God and that we present ourselves to him as a living and holy sacrifice. He says this is our spiritual service of worship. This is how we do life. This is normal. Giving ourselves over is a normal thing. It's what we should do. Verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
so that you may prove what the will of God is. This is going to be, this is, this is the stake, people. You ready for the stake? Look at this. The word conformed, do not be conformed to this world. It's a middle voice verb imperative. Stay with me. It's not that hard. We can do this. What's an imperative verb? It's a command, right? What's the middle voice? Andrew, middle voice, what is it? You're doing it for your own benefit. It's a middle voice imperative verb. Now, now lock onto that. Don't be conformed to this world for your own sake. <laughs> it's like, come on. You get involved in the world and the scars and the regrets and the pain of living a life that is worldly, is, it's not worth it. It's a middle voice. So for your own sake, don't do it. Don't be conformed to this world. By the way, uh, uh, this is important that you see this. Um, this is the word for world. Ioni. Ioni. It's from our English word eons. Time or ages. You know what? It, we could really accurately translate this. Don't be conformed to the current culture. Is really what it means. Don't be conformed to the current culture. Do you have any idea the pressure on churches and pastors to conform to current culture right now? I'm telling you, churches are bailing left and right because they're afraid to teach Scripture. They're afraid to teach the truth because they're going to lose members, right? Or they're going to be, there's a lawsuit or somebody's going to be offended. And there's some, so it's like pastors are living in fear. They become a bullimanic. Do I tell the truth or do I make up something like, like new religious you know, um, self-help principles and we'll sprinkle some Jesus on it and we'll call it a sermon? What do you do? The bell on the left or the right? What do you do? The church is bailing left and right. Whole denominations endorsing things that are not according to God's word. They're conforming, they're bending, they're being shaped around the current culture of the day. Okay? Uh, guys, don't try to be a second class woman. Ladies, don't try to be a second class man. It's not worth it. It's not worth it at all. You know, when Paul talks about the body, uh, this hand doesn't need to try to be a foot, a second class foot. This hand needs to be a hand. My eyes need to, to not try to smell things or my ears to try to see things. God made the body of Christ and unique people in it for a purpose. There's something about maleness that is amazing that reveals the character of God. There's something about femaleness that is amazing, that reveals the character of God. In fact, God created them male and female in his image. We need both. We can't be conformed to the current culture of the day and be cowards and complain about it. Chapter 1 of Romans, perversion. The, the, the departure from God's truth and the embracing of the current culture leads to perversion. It leads to destroyed individuals, destroyed relationships, marriage. It'll even destroy culture and it'll bring governments down. Rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is so cool. Be transformed. Look at this word right here. Any Greek students here? What is that word? Take a guess. Andrew already knows. She's... As they say in Massachusetts, she's wicked smart when it comes to Greek. Okay, she's wicked smart. So what do you think? Looks like what? What is it? Metamorphosis. Yeah, 
Metamorphe, exactly. It's the caterpillar that becomes the butterfly. Now this is good, you ready? We just talked about don't conform. It's a command, but it's middle voice for your own sanity and for your own sake. Don't conform to current culture. Now this one is different. This is a command, be transformed, but it's a passive. What's the difference with a passive verb? I'm just going to turn to Andrew. Andrew, what does it mean? In other words, you can't transform yourself. Then who's doing the transforming? God is. God is. Paul is saying, don't conform to the current culture for your own sanity's sake. Don't do that. Then he's saying, let God transform you. You just sit back and you take it. You just enjoy it and let God do the transforming work inside of you. Let God do the metamorphosis, which is beautiful. And then look at this. And be renewed in your mind. Be renewed in your mind. All right. So let me lock something down. You ready for a pop quiz? Pop quiz. Margaret is ready to go. All right. I've never gotten past my college days. So, And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Pop quiz. You ready? Is it the renewing of your mind that leads to transformation? Or is it the transformation that leads to the renewed mind? <laughs> guy you're a wise guy does the transformed or does the renewed mind lead to transformation or does a transformation lead to renewed mind and look right at the text it's not a hard question students not a hard question what's that there you go Ed picked it up alright be transformed by the renewing of your mind so it sounds like a renewed mind's a pretty big deal, right? Okay. Did you know that you will not have life transformation? You're not going to go through metamorphosis if you can't get things settled between your ears. Do you know that? And the stuff Paul wanted us to get settled between our ears are called Romans 1 to 11. That's the whole context. We got to get it settled about perversion, people. We got to get it. Can I say it plainly? Isaiah 5:20. Woe to those who call a bitter thing sweet and a sweet thing bitter, who substitute light for darkness and darkness for light. You can't pursue perversion. Let me say it so plainly. You can't pursue perversion and expect the blessings of God. You can't. You've got to be renewed. You've got to settle that one. You can't pursue perversion and expect the blessed life. You can't. It doesn't work. It leads to a mess. This is what Paul is pushing. Be renewed in your mind and it leads to transformation. Paul said it this way in Colossians 1. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And then look at the, the last part of the, uh, the verses. One more, one more verb here that's pretty powerful. That you may prove. The word is, is dokimazo. Here it's dokimazin. Dokimazo. To prove something. Um, <clears throat> when we 
when we begin to accept God's truth and we allow our, uh, allow our minds to be renewed, it leads to life change. And when that happens, we now can prove some things. Right? We can start proving that doing God's will makes sense. And we realize that there are things about the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. Look at this in Greek. Look at agathon. Good. Acceptable. Teleon. Perfect. The word teleon, telos in Greek, refers to the end. It refers to what is complete. It's translated perfect, but could have easily been translated complete. Some of you guys run cable. I know Frank, you do, and Stephen and others. There's, an end, there's a terminating point on the cable. There's an end to it, right? Just like my, my, my phone or, or, or my iPad's plugged in. There's an end point on the cable. That's telos, the end of the cable. Telos, teleonomy, and, and you've got DNA, and what goes on the DNA. Um, we're not talking about perfect as in flawless. We're talking about perfect as in that which is complete. When we have a transformed life and a renewed mind, we can start proving that following God is good and acceptable and it completes us. It makes sense. You ready? You ready for the, <laughs> the owie moment? You ready? Looking at your life, what can you prove about the will of God? What can, can people look at you? Can they look at me and go, wow, Chris Perry proves it's worth it to follow God. God's will just makes sense. The way I live my life. Or the way you live your life. Is it proving that doing the will of God is the good thing? It's the good thing. It's acceptable. It's the right thing. And it, it's a completing kind of thing. Are we living those kinds of lives? By the way, you, should not, you shouldn't struggle with this question at all. Are these pronouns plural or singular? Who said plural? Did you say, someone say plural? They're all plural. We are the ones who are not conforming to the world, the current culture. We are the ones being transformed. We do, we do mind renewal together. We do it together. Did you know that we're about to do it together? I'm going to turn it over to you guys, and it's going to be good. And when we start praying together and owning this thing, we are literally living out the heart of what we've discovered this morning. We do this thing together. You can't do it in isolation. You can't. It's called the church. We need each other. For those of you who are athletes, you know that if you work out alone, you'll compromise. You'll cut your workout a little bit shorter. Maybe knock off a few reps. But if you get one or two guys with you, one or two girls with you, you're going to work harder and work smarter than if you're alone. It's the same thing spiritually. When we are accountable together and we work out together, we're going we're gonna to prove, yeah, doing God's will is the right thing. And we're not going to bend our lives around current culture and whatever it is that they're saying about what's right and wrong anymore. We are literally submitting ourselves to the mind of God. Now, this is the fun part. Listen, you guys are amazing. You are the gifted body of Christ. We have people here who are prophets. People here are full of mercy, the mercy of God. If you were to take ownership of Romans 11.33 to Romans 12.2, 
in the entire paragraph getting the whole point of what Paul is actually saying. What difference would this make in our lives? And how would we, as the body of Christ, take ownership of it and live it out? Why does this matter? You're the church. Take ownership of this thing. How do we then live? Chris, when you mentioned the, that word perfect at the end, um, it reminded me of like what Jesus said on the cross when he said, to tell us that, like, that you know, it is finished. Yes. Exactly, that's the root, yes. And I wonder, you know, obviously that's such a powerful moment, you know, and so just thinking about this, how you're, you know, that is which good, acceptable, perfect. Like, it's just very powerful. Yes, um, yes, And yes. now he's, like, urging. It's very, yes, <laughs> yes. like, that pleading is yes. so kind of just, I don't know, just I see it as, like, you know, he's writing this personal letter, and it just sounds yes. so genuine and, like, yeah. um, that just kind of, that was the first thing that popped in my head is the word of them. Yeah, and in fact, I want you to see this. Look at this. Um, this is uh, that which is good and acceptable and complete. Look, these two words right here, kai, those are and, the word and. In English, how would we have written that? We would say that which is good, comma, acceptable, comma, and complete. Paul doesn't do that. He uses the word kai twice. Why? What's he doing? Um, they're each their own. Absolutely. If I say he's pounding the pulpit, it's going to sound corny, but it's actually true. It's pretty accurate. He is, he is hammering down. You guys can't miss this, all you churches in Rome, under threat of persecution. And what Nero's going to, what Nero's going to do to you guys? You can't miss this. When you're transformed and you get your mind renewed and you stop conforming to current culture and the pressure to be of the, of, of the current society that you're in, you're going to start proving goodness and what is acceptable and right and what is complete and holy and good. And he's, he's, he's driving it home. He's pouring his heart out. <laughs> it's what he's doing. So, Someone else, why does this matter?
I just turned there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> you don't pray for patience. Right? Yeah. And yeah. You pray for peace and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You're filled up with the Spirit, and then this is what's just coming out of it. Yeah. This is how you know the Spirit, because this thing, these things are just coming out of a person. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not the things point to the word for yeah. the line. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he's saying. He's saying the exact same thing here that he's saying in Galatians 5. It just sounds really different. Yes, yeah. Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We get up on the altar and we die to self. That's what we do. Someone else. Why does this matter? How would we as <coughs> brothers and sisters in Christ live this out? Guy. Don't you know 
So you're clinging to poison, you're eating it, you're wearing it, you're driving in it, you're living in it. These things are poison. And we need to go back to the default. Like, we've got to make sure we understand that our terms are being defined well in the context that we understand it in. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that because I think I do. I've got so far to go, but I think we have to constantly go back to that and yeah. say, what, what is it? Because to us, a living sacrifice might mean, well, I guess I'll just uh, skip a couple Starbucks and, you know, put that money in the plate. I've done my sacrifice. Like, that's not what Paul Not at all. These not people all. saw, they knew what it looked like for a person to be crucified. Mm -hmm. They knew what it looked like to see animals slaughtered. They knew what it was like to have the smell of blood and open flesh filling the air. And what, what was called worship. We think worship, we think raising our hands and singing songs. Like that's our sacrifice. Being happy, yeah. yeah. Give God a praise offering, clap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so yeah. Again, we just have to go back and get honest and yeah. say, this is threatening. Yeah. This yeah. is scary. Guy, it's uh, Dr. Jewett that did the heavy lifting and discovered that this letter of Romans was written to Christians that lived in tenement buildings in Rome that were nothing but tinder boxes, by the way. People that were very, very poor and very oppressed in Rome. These, aren't, these are not wealthy people living in, in palatial Italian villas in, in the city of Rome. But you're right, they know poverty. And then the threat of the Roman sword. You're right. You're right. So you're helping us renew our mind, Guy. Uh, Tim. One and done. Yes, Tammy, and thank you for helping us to renew our minds. Exactly. And so what about Christians? They might give a church one Sunday a quarter. Maybe once a month. You know. And is every Sunday and every Wednesday enough? No, not even that's enough. We need each other every day, every day, to truly keep our minds in that renewed state. Because if you're like me, guy, if you're like me, you can drift, can't you? You know? We've got to stay focused. Thank you, Tammy. And all of this is done in community. These are all plural pronouns. We work hard at the renewing process of our minds. We do it together. Absolutely. Someone else, why does this matter? I just want to reiterate what Tammy said. We, as a society, in my way of thinking, are under assault. We are confronted every day yes, yes. by the political climate, yes. if you will, where Republicans hate Democrats and vice versa, and it's literally toxic. Yes. And if we do not make a genuine effort every day, yeah. we can be left.
led astray very easily. Yes. Because there are questions and uh, issues that we believe in, but how do we accomplish that? Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a struggle. Yeah. It has to be a concerted yeah. effort on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, you were talking earlier about <coughs> the churches who conform to the current society. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not going to work. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, not at all. You know, Terry, this I, I, I don't want to pick on Facebook, but but just for a minute, just a case in point. Should scripture be that thing that renews us the most and the encouragement of Tammy and Tim and, and you guys and Stephen and Guy? Should that be the stuff that really renews my mind or should it be Facebook? Do I turn to Facebook to define the moral culture? Do I turn to Facebook to, to get my emotional fix to kind of define the compass in which way I'm going to go? Do I get that on Facebook? Well, if you do, you're in trouble. Middle voice verb, man, don't conform to Facebook for your own self, for, for the sake of your own mind. Don't do that. Uh, Cody, you going to say something? I was expecting great things from you. <laughs> so. That's good. Good. Yes. I don't know if I'm out of place here. I've never been to a church where people actually converse during a sermon, and I think that's amazing. <laughs> Which keeps me on the straight and narrow, by the way. Thank you so much. You just made my day. Tim, how many times do you have to go to the gym to get healthy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and like the whole life, right? You just don't join the, join the gym and get healthy, right? It didn't work that way. So it's interesting. Let's do some good theology. Is it one transforming event or an ongoing transforming? Which one is it? 
Yes. Oh, good. You guys are learning. That's good. Okay, for example, guys, 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, behold, he's a new, new creation. There you go. So, yes, in terms of conversion, being born again by the blood of Christ. Yes, there's the big one. But now that you're born again, it's time to grow up. And now that whole process of daily transformation kicks in. All right, I want someone to use their, their big indoor voice. Read Romans 8, 28 and 29, and you'll get what transformation is all about. This should answer her question. So who can get it? Romans 8, 28 to 29. Who'll, who'll read it? Branson, big, big boy. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have, who have been called according to his purpose. For those, good, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Interesting. God is saying, I want you to be conformed, bent and shaped around my son, not conformed to the current culture, the aeon, the current age of the moment. There it is. That we, on this daily basis, are bending, shaping, molding ourselves around the image of the character of Jesus Christ. So, when I look at Caleb and Megan, I go, wow, you guys look like Jesus. You're showing me what is good and acceptable and complete and holy. That's it. That's where this whole thing goes. Branson? And it's kind of like, um, I've really, the Lord really graced me to just see kind of that transforming question that you're talking about here. It's like, when you have a child, we've got a two-year-old, it's like, when she was first born, she was born, she was there, she was alive, you know, but now she's two, and she's been growing over the last couple of years, and it's like, it's not like she's going to stop, you know? I mean, it's, it's the same as us spiritually. It's like, man, when we're born again, we're babies in Christ, but we're there. You know, we, we have been transformed. We have been born, but we continue to grow in by His grace. Mm, Branson, thank you. Thank you. So let's do this. If you can lock it down between your ears, that perversion is real. There is such a thing as right and wrong, okay? Perversion's real, and it does tremendous damage. If you don't think child abuse brings damage, come on. Perversion is real. It brings damage. It destroys, destroys people and cultures. You've got to settle. You can't, you can't barter with God. You don't play games with God. God's not partial. He doesn't favor those who keep the law and those who don't, or those who are better at keeping the law than those who are trying to keep the law. He doesn't play favorites. You've got to settle it up, people. You're dead to sin. You're de you don't have to stay in a state of dis dysfunctional mind or dysfunctional morality. You don't have to do that. If you're in Christ, you're free. And I promise you, if you try to do it by law and by grace, he's going to prove you a hypocrite every time. And you're going to be really hard to live with, by the way. Okay, can I just get that out there? It's going to be hard to be married to you if you're trying to do law and grace at the same time. Eight, Romans 8, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. To those who walk according to the Spirit, not the flesh. And ouchie, Tim, behold the kindness and severity of God. God can harden the heart. He can. And He can soften it too. Now, if you got this, and if you really soaked up what was said by Tim and Tammy and Guy and, and Branson and others, then it should cause us to do the very thing we're about to do, worship with all our hearts.
<laughs> we should cry out, oh, the depths and the riches of the glory of God, his knowledge, his wisdom. It's beyond, I can't wrap my, my mind around it. It should get us ready for worship. That's what it's about. I think the Holy Spirit is doing his work. If you do not know what it's like to be born again and to be redeemed by the blood of Christ, I'll be standing in the back. I want you to come talk to me. Tim. Can I read one more verse? Yes, yes. This is John 4. It's Jesus to the woman at the well. He said, everyone who drinks of this water, physical water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That's the water that he will give him, that's the transforming yes. power that's going to transform your mind. Yes. And he says, the, the water that I give him will become a, in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The spring being constant, always yes. giving forth water. Yes. Yes. And the woman said to him, this is the prayer for our lives right here. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Absolutely. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Hey, let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, uh, I know your spirit's been at work uh, here. Lord, we, we, we've, got to, we've got to admit that we've been trying to blend into culture. We've allowed ourselves to be conformed to some things that, that are outside your will. And the renewal has got to really kick in. We, we've got to we can't turn our back on you. We can't get you, pressed you down into our, our level and, and try to create you into our image. Lord, we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we're going to accept the truth, and truth sets us free. Lord, I pray that every heart here would be like that wellspring Tim is talking about and that the life of your son will flow out of us to others. And we can prove that following you is the smartest thing we'd ever do. And that worshiping you is just the natural overflow of gratefulness for all that you've done. So that we would cry out, oh, the depth of your character and who you are. Please bless now in Jesus' name, amen.